I'm doing a series that is uh, somewhat doctrinal in nature, and today I'm going to give you a whole dose of theology, all right? But theology is good because, you know what? We behave like we believe, and so we need to believe right so that we can behave right. All this past week while I've been working on this sermon, I kept thinking of the, of the little kindergarten boy who was busy drawing at his desk and his teacher walked by and asked him what he was doing and without looking up, just continued to work. He says, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she stopped and said, well, son, you, you, don't you know that nobody knows what God looks like? And he put down his crayon and looked up at her and said, well, they will when I'm done. <laughs> so... Maybe we will know a little more about God after this hour is over with. A.W. Tozer was a pastor and a great writer who lived a generation ago, and he once wrote, what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. And I agree with that. I have met people who believe God is loving and kind and merciful and grace. And, and you know what? They were loving and kind and graceful people. On the other hand, I, I know people who believe God is angry and that God is mad at the world. And guess what? They too are angry <laughs> and they are mad at the world. So a great deal is at stake as we delve into what we believe about God. Unfortunately, there are all kinds of misconceptions about God, and those misconceptions make today's topic even more important. This is our second sermon in the series, We Believe. We are exploring what we believe as a church and how these beliefs can make a difference in our everyday life. Today, we turn our attention to what we believe about God. And my hope and desire and goal today is that we develop a biblical understanding of God that inspires us to be all that he wants us to be. Now, I grew up in a Christian home, and I learned to believe in God at a very young age through the help of my family and also through the help of my church family. It was not until I was much older that I encountered anyone who questioned the existence of God. I had assumed through my childhood that everybody believed in God. I mean, maybe they didn't go to church, but surely they believed in God. Well, boy, was I wrong. And maybe some of you have struggled in the past with God's existence. And I don't know, maybe you're still struggling with that today. Well, today, we're not going to focus on the evidence of God's existence. We're going to focus, rather, on who the Bible reveals God to be. You see, Scripture assumes God's existence, and it never attempts to prove it. From the very beginning verse in the Bible, the dominant presupposition is that there is a God... And he does exist. In fact, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse in the Bible says, In the beginning, in the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Since the majesty of creation is self-evident, the Bible begins with the premise that there was someone who pre-existed the creation and he had to create it. And that someone was God. 
Because we believe in the beginning, God. In other words, before time and space were created, God existed. Amen? Come on, church. Now, what I want to do today is share with you some of the attributes of God, along with the names of God, as well as the triune nature of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of the attributes of God revealed in the Bible is the fact that our God is eternal. That means that God does not have beginning, nor does God have an ending. Psalm 90 verse 2 affirms, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What a great affirmation. I believe that. Do you? From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Church, before the mountains were created, before the earth and the universe came into existence, our God was there. How can that be? Well, the simple answer, God is eternal. Everything in the universe was created. Everything that is created had a beginning. But God exists outside of time and space. He has no beginning. That means God has no ending. And that's doctrine. That's theology. Our God is eternal. But what does that mean? Practically, what does that mean for me here today, October the 2nd, 2016? I think it means this. I think it means that, you know what? We can trust God in good times and we can trust God in bad times. We can trust God when we're on the mountaintop, and we can trust God when our world is crumbling and falling apart beneath us. Since God is not subject to the ups and the downs of this world like we are, God never falls apart. God never has a bad day. All of the days for God are the same. Psalm 46 puts it like this, God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Through, though the earth gives way and though the mountains may fall into the heart of the sea, our God is eternal, and He doesn't change. And because God is eternal, and He exists outside of the fluctuations of time and space, it means that our God, He is a refuge. Because you know what? We do have bad days. And some days, what we thought we had nailed down becomes unnailed. And what we thought we had under control goes out of control. Sometimes our cosmos becomes, becomes chaos, and our world falls apart. And it's like the mountains are crumbling into the sea. But I'm telling you, God is a rock. He is the same. And therefore, you can build your life on Him. A second truth about God that is revealed in the Bible is the fact that there is only one true God. There's only one God. Christianity is a monotheistic faith. We believe there is one God. This particular truth was drilled into the hearts and minds of the Jews throughout the Old Testament. In fact, it was required that every Jew repeat Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, two times a day. Here's what the verse says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
This prayer is still repeated when a faithful Jew gets up in the morning and when they go to bed at night. It is the first prayer that a Jewish child is taught. And it is the last words of a faithful Jew before they die. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Again, what a great affirmation. So much so that I want you to say it out loud with me as our affirmation of faith in God. Will you, will you read this with me? Say it aloud. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Church, that's what we believe. In fact, I, I don't like to play with Scripture, but you know what? I could take Israel out of that verse and put Kavanaugh Church in it, and it applies. Here, O Kavanaugh Church, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, we have a statement of faith at Kavanaugh Church. In fact, if you go to our website under the tab, What We Believe, you can find out what we believe. And there is a document there that says what we believe about God. It is our affirmation of who God is. It's not something that we originated. We actually took it out of this treatise that I hold in my hands. This is the treatise of the faith and practices of the National Association of Free Will Baptists. This is who we are as a denomination and who we are as a church. I don't know many things that Free Will Baptists can agree on. And that was supposed to be a joke, all right? But we do agree on the interpretation of this little book. And this is what we believe about Scripture and about and about theology. And here is what we believe as a church and a denomination about God. Let me read this. We believe in one living and true God, revealed in nature as the creator, the preserver, and righteous governor of the universe, and in the scriptures as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, I'm going to get to the triune nature of God later in my sermon, that He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But right now, I want to focus on the statement that there is only one God, because that is the central fact of the Christian faith. We believe in one God. When King Solomon dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, he asked that prayers would be answered so that and here is his request in 1 Kings 8.60, so that all peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. <laughs> hmm. That's pretty good. We do need to work on our clapping right there, but we're good, we're good. I believe that. From beginning to end, the Bible affirms there's only one God. Now, what does that mean practically today for us in this church? Well, I think this allows us to know with confidence who it is we're to pray to. I think it helps us know who it is we are to worship. And it helps us to understand who is ultimately responsible for life and for our lives. I can tell you, church, I really can't imagine how confusing it must be to some person in another religion or a cult, for example, the Hindu faith, for example, who, who you, you have to pray to, to thousands of deities. Huh? The oneness of God is an Old Testament affirmation, but it's also clearly established 
in the New Testament as well. Just listen to 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. We also see the oneness of God in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So, the oneness of God is evident throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But God is not only one in numerical unity, He is one of a kind in terms of being totally unique. I'll say it like this. There ain't nobody like Him. Yeah? Nobody like Him. Our Lord is absolutely unparalleled in the universe. Scripture affirms this. For example, Exodus 15, 11 says, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Who is like him? Well, can I answer that? Ain't nobody like our God, you know? Nobody is like him. Psalm 35, verse 10. Who is like you, O Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy. From those who robbed them. Psalm 71 verse 19. Your righteousness reaches to the skies. O God, you have done great things. Who, O God, is like you? Well, there's nobody like him. There is no God like our God. There is no one like him. God is also all-powerful. In theological terms... He's omnipotent. This simply means there is nothing that is too difficult for him. Nothing. That really is a great comfort to me. God, God has enough power and grace to overcome any challenge this world might present to him. And as his child, under his grace and under his power... I know there is no difficulty that I face in my life that God can't handle. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. <laughs> Are you even out there? Huh? Wake up, wake up. Let's, let's say this out loud together, what we have underlined from this verse. Let's affirm this. Read it with me. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah spoke that thousands of years ago. But do you believe it today? There is nothing too hard for our God. There is no sickness. There is no conflict. There is no financial issue. There are no family problems that are too big for my God to handle. He's awesome. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Number four, there's another attribute of God I want to share with you, and that is God's everywhere. There is nowhere we can go that God is not already there. The, the theological term for that is God's omnipresence. It means that God is everywhere present at the same time. 
That'll blow your mind. He's not limited by time or space. He's, he's everywhere. So God is not only here with me today and you in this sanctuary at 2825 Grinnell in Fort Smith, Arkansas, America. 72908. <laughs> he's here. Y'all act like it. He's here. All right. But at this very moment, he's with my baby girl Callie in Albania. I, don't, I know you're tired of hearing the story about Callie, but I've got a point to tell you the story again today. About a month and a half ago, Angie and I put uh, our middle daughter, Callie, who's 19 years old, on an airplane for Albania. She stays three months in Albania, three months in the Philippines, three months in South Africa. And uh, we hugged her and said bye to her. Thank God for technology, though. We, we do get to FaceTime her, and, and uh, she can text us, so we do get to keep up with her. But, you know, it was, it was tough for Daddy... It was tough for Papa to put his little baby on an airplane for nine months and send her halfway around the world. You know? Those of you who have done that kind of thing, you, you, you kind of know the struggle that Angie and I went through. And there, there were moments when I thought, you know, is this really a good idea? <laughs> you know? And I tell you, since then, there have been times... When my faith has been tested and I, I see world events on the news and I, I hear of problems that are out in our world today and, and I worry for my daughter. I worry for her safety. But you know what? As, as soon as that worry comes to my mind, I, I redirect my thinking to a truth that is found in Psalm 139 verses 7 through 10 that reminds me of the omnipresence of my God. Here's what the psalmist said. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the seas, even there your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast. And I tell you, that, that encourages my heart to know that wherever my kids may be, wherever my wife is, wherever I am, God's there. I mean, He's there. No matter where we go, God is with us. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Now, there are many other attributes that uh, the Bible reveals God is, and I can't cover all of them this morning. I, I could spend the rest of the time talking about the fact that God is self-existent. God is eternal. God is infinite and immutable and omniscient and righteous, and the list goes on and on and on. But I don't have time for that today. Studying His attributes is one way we can discover how awesome God is. So I'm asking you to do that on your own, all right? In your own private Devotion and prayer time. Study the attributes of God and have your mind blown by just how awesome and great God is. Another way, however, to learn more about God is by simply studying His names. Each name for God revealed in the Bible teaches us something that is unique about our Lord. For example, Elohim is the name used for God in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that says, In the beginning, God, that is Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew name Elohim emphasizes God's limitless power, that out of nothing He created this. <laughs> the most common name for God in the Old Testament is Yahweh, 
which is often rendered as Jehovah. Yahweh is probably derived from the Hebrew verb, I am. This name emphasizes that God is always present and God never changes. Church, did you know that there are more than 15 different names for God mentioned in the Old Testament? And each one of those names reveals something unique about God. But one of the most profound names for God comes to us primarily through Jesus. Do you remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Do you remember the first line in the Lord's Prayer? He prayed, Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus reveals God most often as our Father. And I don't know about you, but that's stunning to me. That's mind-boggling to me. Not only is God all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present, He's also Heavenly Father. A quick little time out here. He is Heavenly Father if you are His child. Okay? If you have accepted His Son Jesus as your Savior, He then becomes our Heavenly Father. I could talk to you for hours about what the fatherhood of God means, and it's all good. I mean, just think about this. Since God is perfect, He is the most loving and caring and considerate and perfect Father that we could ever imagine. He's always there to help us, and He'll never let us down. Man. And I think of all the names that are used for God in the Bible, this perhaps is my personal favorite. To recognize and realize that He is to me Abba Father. He loves me like no other. He has me under His wing. And even though there have been times in my life when He's had to chastise me. Just like my earthly mom and dad had to chastise me. They beat me till I... Anyway, we won't go into that, but... Even though God has chastised me, He loves me and He cares for me. And He has my best interest in mind. That's incredibly comforting to me. To know He is Heavenly Father. Thus our statement of faith affirms that we believe in one living and true God revealed in nature as Creator. So let me talk about that for a moment. This means there is one true God who is the Lord. And He is Creator of all things. The Apostles' Creed that we've kind of been quoting and singing about in this service affirms, We believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. When I was in theology class back in seminary, I learned the term that describes what God did at creation. We believe that God created ex nihilo which simply means God did something that you and I can't do. God made something out of nothing. You can't do that. I mean, human beings are amazing. They can, they can make and create all kinds of things. I don't know about you. I like to watch that show, How It's Made. You ever watch that? They, they, they make things and factories. What blows my mind is not just the things that they're making, but the machines that they had to make that make those things that are so incredible. I mean, somebody's got a brain out there, all right? There are some smart people in our world. You are some of them who can create and make things, but you know what? You've got to have something to make something. That's not the way God did it. 
God made everything that there is out of nothingness. Wow. What that means is this. We are accountable to Him. In, in layman's terms, it means God's the boss. He is the boss. You think about it. We did not create God. God created us. Every breath that we've ever taken is the result of God's mercy. Every talent or every ability that we've ever used is from God. Every job that we've ever worked and every opportunity we've ever been given is ultimately due to God. That is why Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Since God is the creator of all things, you know what? We've got a responsibility to use every day that He's given us and every ounce of energy that we have in our body to honor Him and to worship Him. And let that be the next thing I talk about. One of the results that flows out of our belief of one God creator of all things is that He alone is the object of our worship. Okay, He alone is the object of our worship. In the book of Revelation, we're given a glimpse of the worship in heaven. The, the Lord Most High, God the Father Almighty, is sitting upon a throne. He is the center of that worship. And the Bible tells us that day and night, without ceasing, these living creatures surround the throne of God and they never stop saying Revelation chapter 4 verse 8, which says, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And that is their constant praise to the throne of heaven and the God who sits on that throne. Thus, we believe as a church in one true God who is the central focus of our worship. Now, guys, just, just try to think about this week with me. I, I appreciate our praise team. They are excellent. They, they, they love the Lord themselves. They have been, talent, uh, been given talents by God, and they use those talents along with a whole lot of practice and hard work to lead us in worship every Sunday. And they do a great job, don't they? I mean, they do fantastic. I, I love to hear them sing. Love to hear them sing. And, and that's, but you know what? We're not here to worship the praise team. You know, I'm, you surely don't come to this place to worship me. <laughs> I know that. But God help, God help those churches where the preacher is worshiped. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We don't come here to worship each other. We don't come here to worship our kids or our teenagers. We are here to worship God. For He alone is worthy of our worship. And you need to get that in your mind every time you come here on Sunday. You know what? I'm coming to church today. I'm coming to Kavanaugh to worship God. I'm going to meet with God and I'm going to worship God because He is the object of our worship. Now, in one sense, that's kind of the easy part. These truths of God that I've talked about, the attributes of God, the, the names of God, the God creator and the God who is the object of our worship, we can wrap our minds around that. But the next statement that I'm about to make is where we enter this realm of mystery, right? Because here's what we believe. This is what our church believes. This is our statement of faith about God. We believe in one 
living and true God revealed in the Scriptures as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. God is one, church, but He exists in three persons. He is God the Father, He is God the Son, and He is God the Holy Spirit. Now the problem we have is when we envision three persons, we think of three different individuals. But, but that is not what the Bible affirms. The Bible affirms God is one. We, we've already talked about that. There is only one true God, but here's the mystery. He exists in three persons. Now, I, tell you, I can't explain that. It, this is a mysterious truth that we accept by faith because it's what the Bible teaches. So, rather than try to explain the unexplainable, what I want to do this morning is simply show you how the Bible affirms the triune nature of the Godhead. We've already seen how the Bible teaches that the names of God, in the names of God, there is God the Heavenly Father. God the Father. But the Bible also affirms God the Son, and the Bible also affirms God the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a whole lot of scriptures I could use to affirm this, but I'm just going to use a couple of them. For example, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is God. Here's what John 1, 1 says. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you're looking at that verse behind me on the screen, the word, Word, is capitalized. It's capitalized for a reason, because John goes on to tell us who the Word is in verse 14. The Word is somebody. He says in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word, obviously, is simply another name for Jesus. Jesus became flesh, and Jesus made His dwelling among men. Thus, John 1.1 is the stunning claim that Jesus was God in the flesh. When it says the Word was God, it means that Jesus truly is God. And this claim is then validated by Jesus' own miracles, His sinless life, His unparalleled teaching, and His resurrection from the dead. So I affirm to you today, I believe in God the Father, and I believe in Jesus as God. But the Scripture also affirms the Holy Spirit is God. Let me share a few verses with you. Hebrews 9.14 calls the Spirit eternal. Only God is eternal with no beginning and no ending. So the only way the Spirit can be eternal is that the Spirit is God Himself, of which He is. Job 33 verse 4 says, The Spirit of God was ma has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. So here the Holy Spirit creates life. And only God can create life. So the Holy Spirit is God. Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? The text makes clear that the Holy Spirit is in all places at all times. In other words, the Spirit is omnipresent, which is only an attribute of God. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is God. Really, when you think about it, even the name Holy 
Spirit speaks of His divine nature. Only God is holy. Holiness refers to God's absolute moral perfection. Yet the third person in the triune Godhead is called Holy Spirit dozens of times in the Scripture. And that's just a sampling. I could cite dozens of other Scriptures showing you the Holy Spirit is God because He is. The Holy Spirit is God. Therefore, we see then that the Bible unmistakably makes the claim that there is one God. And yet he is a triune God. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see glimpses of the triune nature of God through the Old Testament. For example, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. So from the very beginning, the first chapter of the Bible, we begin to see glimpses of the plurality of the Godhead. We also have the Old Testament appearances of the angel of the Lord. You read through the Old Testament, and again and again, this angel of the Lord shows up. Most scholars believe that to be the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself. So before Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary in Matthew's gospel, he showed up in Old Testament times in human form. These veiled Old Testament inferences to the triune nature of God become crystal clear, though, when we get to the New Testament. Again, there are numerous scriptures I could cite, but because of time, I'm just going to share one of them with you. It's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He gave the church this commission. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're about to have a baptism at the end of this service. And when Brother Johnny baptizes little Emma, he's going to say, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So in this passage, this text, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are linguistically linked together as one God because that's who they are. <laughs> one God. Church, I've, I've said all that to say this to you. Our God is awesome. <laughs> Our God is an awesome God. And I believe with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven, maker of earth. And that brings me back to where we began. It's where I'm going to end. Genesis chapter 1, verse 21. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I had a great Sunday school teacher who used to say all the time, you know what, if you believe that verse, you can easily believe the rest of the book. You think about that. If you can believe in the beginning when there was nothing but blackness and emptiness, in the beginning God, the one true God, created everything. That If you can believe that, you can believe the rest of it. You can believe in His Son Jesus. You can believe in the Holy Spirit. You can believe in the church. You can believe in You can believe in life everlasting. If you believe... Do you? 
That's a personal question. Do you? Do you believe in God? Oh, preacher, yes, I believe in God. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. You know what? Here's the trick. The Bible says even the demons believe in God, and they tremble. I guess that says something about the atheists who are alive today, <laughs> you know? The kicker is to have him as your heavenly father. He wants to be your heavenly father. He created you to have a relationship with you. He wants to be in relationship with you right now. But the only way that relationship can be established is if you believe in his son, Jesus Christ. At Kavanaugh, we try to keep it real simple. To be saved, you have to admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that only Jesus can save you. And C, confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And friend, if you've never done that, I invite you to do that today. Be saved. Begin a father-child relationship with the great I Am. And for the rest of us who are here today, man, I tell you, I can't think of a better time or place to bring all of your troubles and trials and problems and share them with somebody who really cares. And that's God. You can do that during this invitation. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd make it easy for my friends to come today and pray to bring their life, their family, their problems to you and ask you for help. So please, dear Lord, I pray that you'd do something awesome and amazing in this service. I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can and change lives like only you do. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand. Dean, would you and Sarah come again? We did this Wednesday, but I want to do it again today. And Gloria, why don't you come with them, all right? Brother Dean and Sarah are going to make their way right down here to the front. If you'd like to pray with Dean and Sarah and over them, I invite you to come. And